Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Everyone and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am Jonathan Strickland, the host of Tech Stuff, and I am Lauren Vogelbaum, the other host of Tech Stuff. Yes, or if we had introduced ourselves in the opposite order, I would be the other host of Tech Stuff. We're we're co-hosts, really. Yeah, it's a you know this is a complicated issue, and in fact, I think it'd be a lot simpler if we just simulated it. Would, would it be a lot simpler? I think it would actually be more complicated. You know what? We're going to find out right here and now because this episode is all about do we live in a computer simulation? Mm. And in fact, uh, the reason why we're even talking about this is a few years ago, a, a philosopher – and boy, does that a surprise to no one – a philosopher by the name of Nick Bostrom who uh, – Works at a, a little um, a place you might have heard of. Yeah, tiny. Like in academic circles, they have some swagger. It's the University of Oxford. Yeah, yeah. As far as the boffins go, it's Swagger City, right? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, he, he works at the University of Oxford, and he's a philosopher uh, employed there. Who, so his job is to sit around and think about the nature of reality. And he presented an interesting thought experiment. He said, uh, "Do we live in a computer?" Simulation is is everything that we experience and everything that's around us actually just uh, the product of some sort of computer program in a, a universe larger than our own, and we'll talk about you know what led him into this kind of line of thinking and his arguments presenting uh, the likelihood that we are actually in a computer simulation. But before we begin in that, I, I thought it'd be interesting to look back. Uh, quite a ways, actually, because this idea that reality, as we understand it, is not tr- not exactly it's not new at all. Yeah, we've been pondering for basically as long as we could ponder things whether or not our our experience of reality is reality. Yeah, and and part of that is understandable. I mean, we know for a fact that reality consists of stuff that is beyond our perception. Right? Oh, sure, absolutely. Like, I don't know when the last time you looked into the infrared spectrum was, but the last time for me was <laughs> never because it's outside my visual acuity. I can't see in the infrared spectrum. Right, and there's lots of uh, lots of things above our scale of hearing, above and below our scale of hearing. Yep. Um, if you talk to sharks, they can they can hear different stuff. But yeah, uh, my dogs totally I, different stuff that I can hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and and even even before we had as much scientific data about that as we do now, you know, if we had done the research, we could tell you the exact spectrums that we can see within. But yeah. uh, outside of visual. Which is a pretty good word for it, but um, but but yeah, you know, it's it's even long, long, long times before that people were pondering these questions, and all kinds of literature uh, um, yeah. goes into literature and philosophy. Right, right. All the, back in 1641, one of the famous, famous examples of this kind of philosophy was proposed by uh, a fellow named uh, Rene Descartes, about whom Monty Python had some rude things to sing. <laughs> If you know the, your philosopher's song. But Descartes, um, I think therefore I am, uh, fella, he, he wrote something called the Meditations on First Philosophy. And he presented an, uh, a very similar thought exercise to the one that Nick Bostrom mentioned. Uh, now, his was called the evil demon, or sometimes people refer to it as the evil genius problem. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what if... Everything that I, Rene, I think, therefore I am Descartes, experience <laughs> is actually just an illusion that's generated by an evil force. In, in his case, he was talking about an evil demon. So there's this 
malevolent creature that is capable of creating everything that Descartes is experiencing. So while he thinks he's walking around and uh, being really smart and chatting with other smart people and having uh, a croissant, um, <laughs> in reality, he's not he's just he's just a consciousness that's being manipulated by this evil demon and everything that's happening to him is an illusion that's created by him and this is unfalsifiable right it means that that means that there's no way that you can prove that it's wrong it's like if i say there's a 6 foot invisible bunny walking around behind me all the time yeah. that makes no noise and has no scent right and and you can't touch it that you cannot touch yeah that well that there's no way for me to prove that you're wrong Mm-hmm. I I will sit here and I will think that you are crazy or Donnie Darko, <laughs> but that uh, you know or Deborah Donka, Don, uh, Darko I don't know I mean or or the character in in Harvey uh, oh there you go <laughs> there you nice. go another then, one uh-huh. yes but but the, you know there's no way for me to prove this that is- there's not a six foot invisible untouchable and unsentable unhearable bunny <laughs> behind you uh, so that's that's called that it's called unfalsifiable. Uh, that means it is not scientific. Right. Scientific uh, principles, premises, these sort of things, they are falsifiable, meaning right. that it, it there, there should be a set of criteria under which you would say this is not true. Right. Now, it does not mean that what you're saying isn't true. It just means it has to be possible. Mm-hmm. Like, there has to be within the realm of possibility. In order for something to be proved, it has to be able to be disproved. Exactly. And so if it's unfalsifiable, it's not scientific. Now, I should also stress if it's unfalsifiable and unscientific, that also does not mean it's not, not true. true. It could be true. It could absolutely be true. String theory is a great example of yes. this. We call it a theory, but it, but some people argue it's a philosophy. Well, it's a it's a, yeah, it's not a mathematical theory. And I get into arguments sometimes with people on Facebook about this um, because the theory is a word that has many many meanings. Right. The mathematical meaning of it is is something that has been proven is true. Whereas, you know, has, and, has been exercised. The whole scientific theory versus I have a theory, right. <laughs> which is really more like I have an idea of why this is the way yeah. it is. Scientific theory and that kind of theory are two different things. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, string theory would say that the entire universe is made up of these tiny little vibrating strings. And we're talking like tiny as in tinier than subatomic particles tiny. Quite and, small. And that the way they vibrate, that's what makes stuff what it is. Uh-huh. Well, mathematically, this makes sense. But there is no way we can uh, we can observe this or test this. So therefore, it's unfalsifiable and unscientific using that particular definition. Sure. Uh, so same sort of thing here with Rene Descartes and his theory. And this is, not, again, not the first time this idea has popped up, but it's one of the really famous ones, and that's back in 1641. Right. So if we look at uh, the modern version, you've got Nick Bostrom talking about a computer simulation, and his whole argument hinges on this idea of transhumanism or uh, the singularity. So we kind of have to talk about what the singularity is so that we can finally get around to this whole computer simulation problem. Right. And and, and also talk about transhuman. Yeah. Because that, that's basically a fancy term for stuff. Yeah. Uh, for <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a fancy term for saying what happens when we reach a point in, uh, in advances – uh, in science, in medicine, in biology, where we can transform ourselves to a point where we are no longer, strictly speaking, human. human. Right. Like we have altered ourselves on some fundamental level and we aren't 
we, we wouldn't be human as we recognize it today. Right, that our, our technology has bonded to us in a way, or yeah. that our science has bonded to us in right. a way. Right, we, we've understood genetics enough so that we're all mutants, like in the X-Men, or we have all become cyborgs, mm-hmm. or we have all transmitted our consciousness into computers, and there are no physical versions of us anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all different ways that we could, in theory, become transhuman. So it's a very generic term that spreads across multiple possibilities. Right. There's no one transhuman outcome. Yes, because really, I mean, the thing is that we don't know because we're not there yet. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, as it turns out. I mean, there's a few of us who are a little <laughs> wacky, but uh, but it doesn't mean... You know, no. Some of us are clearly better than others. I mean, Okay, yeah. But. I mean, we're not, we're not naming names, but we're pretty awesome. Uh, but no, so that's the idea of transhumanism. Singularity is sort of one of the pathways where we could reach this sort of transhuman future. And the singularity is this idea that several futurists have proposed about uh, the, the, the fact that technology advances are continuing at a faster and faster pace each each year, really. Exponentially. Exponentially. Uh, you've got things like Moore's Law where – depending on how you're defining it, essentially the the computer power is doubling every two years. Um, But other technological advances are are happening at an even faster rate that uh, we will eventually come to a point where we are advancing continuously with no break between the generation. Between shifts, right. Right. If you think of like operating systems and how they come out like, you know, Windows 7 and then Mm -hmm. Windows 8. Once every four years or so, Yeah. yeah, sure. But then you think, all right, well, then down the road, it might be that every six months, and then it might be every three months, and then it might just be that every single day there's something new that's being incorporated. Or every second or every nanosecond, right. or et cetera. So at that point, things are changing so fast that you cannot even define the era you are in because mm-hmm. there's nothing – like with, within one moment, uh, you have changed so much that it's it's pointless to try and define a series of moments, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. At this point in our future, we would hit what is called the singularity. And, and part of one of the, the defining features of the singularity is it's impossible for us to say what will happen once we hit that point. Because by its very nature, it's going to evolve so fast that we cannot conceive right. of what can happen. I mean, it's, it's kind of pointless to talk about it too much. <laughs> it doesn't stop me, but it's pointless. It doesn't stop philosophers either. Doesn't stop me. And there are many pointless discussions that you cannot stop me from having. This is one of them. Anyway, so the singularity could happen in various ways. Again, biology, science, technology, these are all the different avenues that, that uh, could lead to the singularity or it could be, you know, a, a little bit of everything. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and that forms the very crux of Bostrom's argument. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So Nick Bostrom's argument uh, is worded this way. Here, here's from a paper he wrote on the subject. Okay. A technologically mature post-human civilization would have enormous computing power. Based on this empirical fact, the simulation argument shows that at least one of the following propositions is true. One, the fraction of human-level civilizations that reach a post-human stage is very close to zero. Two, the fraction of post-human civilizations that are interested in running ancestor simulations is very close to zero. Or three, the fraction of all people with our kind of experiences that are living in a simulation is very close to one. Now, what that essentially means is that if we are able to reach a post-human phase, this transhuman phase where we have at our fingertips 
practically limitless resources. Right. Because of things are being so magical and rainbows are popping out of everything uh-huh. now. That, uh, that if that's the case, then we should be able to create a computer simulation of the universe that is, uh, within the realm of the simulation itself, extremely realistic. Sure. And that we could also create within this, uh, this universal simulation, uh, simulated intelligent beings. So that these, these created beings would have sentience, they'd have consciousness, they would... They might be very much like modern humans. Yes, they'd be self-aware, mm-hmm. uh, but they would exist within the context of this created universe, and so they would only be able to see the things that are within that universe. Mm-hmm. Anything outside of the universe, they would be incapable of perceiving. Right. So within that universe, it would seem like they were, quote-unquote, the real people. Right. Right? They were, they were the people who were there because of whatever forces caused the universe to be created in the first place. Um, And that for these people within this simulated universe, it might be completely impossible for them to detect anyone outside of it, anyone being us, that we were the ones creating it. So his argument is that if we, in fact, reach this stage and if we would use our technology to create simulations so that we could see how civilizations develop, and that we would definitely do that. See how interesting bits of the universe work because we're intrinsically curious. Right. So his argument is if it's possible, we would do it. Yes. And if it's possible and we would do it, that means we, the current people living in this universe, are almost surely a computer simulation. So if it can happen and uh, if we are interested in ourselves, and we obviously are, (laughs) then it's almost a guarantee that we're in a computer simulation. And the reason for that argument is that in order for us to not be a computer simulation, we would have to be the first ones. Right. Right? We, we, we'd have to be heading towards that timeline right. and just haven't gotten there yet. Yep. No Mr. Fusion. Right. Whereas in every other case, some other post-human civilization has already gotten there and made at least one uh, level of uh, simulated universe, which means that one out of infinity means we're the first. <laughs> and then... Every other example is we're number two or lower. <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 kind of the crux of his argument, and it's really again a philosophical argument. It's not meant to say, right? We're we're in a we're in a computer game because <laughs> because the way that it's set up, yeah. The you know if if, if you're saying that that ninety nine point nine 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 ad infinitum percent of the time we're probably a computer simulation yeah. it's you're you're placing the burden of proof on that 99.9 etc yeah. percent of the population who might think you're wrong right and that so but <laughs> isn't it, really fair it's an interesting it's an interesting question oh absolutely uh, it's it's again unfalsifiable at right now but but <sighs> here's the funny thing Bostrom makes this this statement, but it's purely from a philosophical point of view, right? It's not from a physics point of view. It's not from a science point of view. It's philosophy. That has not stopped other people from looking at this from a scientific point of view. And that, to me, is another interesting aspect of this argument, is that usually you would look at an argument like this and say, okay, well, that's an interesting philosophical question. Ultimately, there's nothing I can do about that one way or the other, and then you go about your merry little way. 
Right. But a bunch of nice, I, I'm, I'm assuming um, um, quantum scientists yeah. have gotten together. Are you assuming they're nice or are you assuming they're quantum scientists? I'm, I'm assuming, well, I'm assuming both. I'm going to go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt there. Fair enough. <laughs> have been have been doing some research into um, quantum chromodynamics. Yeah. Which is uh, which is a theory about one of the four fundamental forces in our universe. Okay. So the four fundamental forces are strong nuclear force, electromagnetism, weak nuclear force, and gravity. And that is, in fact, in the order of how powerful they are. Right. Gravity is the weakest. It's the one that it, we're having the most trouble incorporating into our model of mm-hmm. the universe. Uh, strong nuclear force deals with the force of, you know... You know those n- nucleuses things, those, those nuclei that exist inside atoms? Uh-huh. You know how they have like stuff that's stuck together like <laughs> protons and neutrons? And we're not sure why because because hypothetically two protons should should push each other push away. Push each other away well, if you've ever played with magnets? Well, well, strong nuclear force is the force that that's the name for the reason why these things are stuck together so Strong. Why, why they're why they're able to stick together? Clearly, it has to be an incredibly strong force. It's an incredibly strong force that only kicks in in incredibly short distances. Right. We're talking on the atomic scale. Mm-hmm. So, the strong uh, nuclear force is what quantum chromodynamics is all about studying. And one of the the ways that uh, quantum chromodynamics or QCD, which would be way easier to say, uh, is to uh, to look at this as a part of a, well, it looks at reality as four space-time dimensions. Right. So four dimensions. Uh, if we mentioned string theory earlier. Some versions of string theory require that there are no fewer than 11 dimensions for string theory to work. Which is basically beyond my comprehension entirely. I, I, I get X, Y, Z, and time. Yeah. That I can I can get a three-dimensional object moving through time. Yeah. That's cool. Beyond that, it gets a little w- wonky. Yeah. Tiny-wimey. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah wibbly-wobbly. <laughs> I'm right there with you. And, uh, and yeah, same thing. And, and again, this, this plays back to that discussion we had at the very beginning where we talked about, you know, we know the universe consists of stuff that's beyond our perception. But, you know, we have to filter that through our brains. And our brains are acting as a middleman between our consciousness and reality. Mm-hmm. So the things that we experience may very well be in their fundamental nature extremely different from the way we think of them because – it's being filtered through because we have to model them in a this this, <sighs> this flawed is my head, man. concept. <laughs> we shouldn't have done this. <laughs> Philosophy makes me sad. I just realized that my brain is what's making you sit there and you think like think about it. If you have a bad day, you're thinking, wait a minute. Part of the reason I'm having a bad day is because my brain is filtering things in. A, uh, it's my fault. And then I just it becomes this and vicious this cycle. terrible loop of of everything is terrible because of my brain, which is making things terrible. Little glimpse into Jonathan Strickland there, <laughs> folks. This is how I get just before I have to go to CES. I know this episode publishes after I come back, but trust me, I fly morose, morose. Day after tomorrow, man, it's I- rough. It's it's a terrible life having to fly around the country and look at really shiny technological objects. You are to, not helping that, this <laughs> this vicious cycle that's going on. <laughs> Getting back to QCD. Yes. So part of, part of this is looking at reality as four space time dimensions, uh, and it's using uh, computers that are really really powerful to do this and creating something that's uh, well it's it's it's, the, it's called a lattice gauge. Uh, it's last gauge theory, actually, uh, that 
is sort of the, the, the framework within which QCD tries to explain the strong nuclear force. And uh, this part of this means that we try and simulate an incredibly tiny simulated universe. Oh, right, right. And this, this is on the, um, this is on actually the femto scale. Yeah, Am I femto, saying that right? That's yes. correct. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a femtometer is one quadrillionth of a meter. Yeah. A nanometer for, for reference is one billionth of a meter, and that's also very small. Yes. Yeah. When you talk about nanotechnology and that super small technology, that is enormous compared to the femto scale. We're talking really, really, really tiny. Mm-hmm. Well, they build this sort of lattice structure to contain the simulated universe, and within this simulated universe, they are examining the uh, the, the elements that make up the strong nuclear force so that we can understand what it is and how it works better. Right, right. right. That's the whole purpose of this. it's one of, of the big driving forces of the universe, we want to understand it. But uh, these, these physicists said, hey, wait a minute. If this is how we are simulating an entirely uh, fake universe, a very tiny universe, doesn't it stand to reason that some other, like if we are in if fact we in a computer If we became hyper-advanced, if we went transhuman, couldn't those transhumans, in fact, use the same technology to simulate an entire universe? Uh, not yeah, on a big scale. On a really large scale, on a universal scale. Yeah, right. Or, or at least for us, I mean, you could also argue that just to populate a femto-sized universe with, with even smaller individual units within that femto-sized universe, the idea being that, well, you could, you could create a simulation that is a true universe with inhabitants, right. intelligent inhabitants. And that if, in fact, we are in a computer simulation, then perhaps there's some way that we could detect if this lattice structure is around our own universe. Um, yeah, this is where it's getting to the point where uh, it's hard for me to actually explain because it's, <laughs> yeah, it's both, this both is of brain our, stretching. Both of our uh, grasps on quantum mechanics are, are perhaps not as strong as they could be, and, and cosmology for the matter for that matter, because uh-huh. we're talking about things like cosmic rays. Uh, the, the 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 physicists suggested that perhaps we could. Um, observe cosmic rays and and really study them in depth and see how they behave within our universe and look for evidence of a lattice structure which would indicate that some other larger universe had used the same techniques we used to create the femto universes we're making to look at the strong nuclear force to make our own universe. Right. And then we'd say, hey, look, there's evidence. We are in a computer simulation. Crap. <laughs> There are there are some issues with this. One is that uh, it presumes that any post-human civilization would use the exact same methodology. Would use the exact same thing that we're using, right? Correct. So uh, there's another uh, assumption that said post-human society would allow us to be able to find our own. Right. That you know they wouldn't paint in a nice little backdrop that would prevent us from seeing the seams. Yeah, like to put in a patch. Right. Or to reset us. Uh-huh. Let's go back to Bronze Age, po- folks. Control or delete. <laughs> um, there's also the argument that, well, what if our universe is so large that it is a bounded universe? Because that's the other thing. A lattice structure would also indicate that our universe does have it's limits. It's finite. Yeah, it's a finite universe. What if that finite universe is still too big for us to ever be able to see the edges? Right. Or no. what if the universe just is finite anyway? 
Yeah, it could be that the universe is finite anyway and has nothing to do with the lattice structure. And so there are a lot of a lot of objections that people have brought up, uh, but mainly. What this approach would allow us to do is if we saw the last structure, we could maybe draw some conclusions. But in any other case, like if we didn't see the last structure, it doesn't answer any questions. Right. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're not in a computer simulation. So this, so it's interesting, but again, it's just sort of an extension of this thought experiment where, uh, you know, we're kind of getting around to the point that I'm most interested in in this whole discussion that, all right, let's let's say that let's say that we are in a computer simulation. Okay. Whether we know it or not, it doesn't sure. doesn't matter. We don't necessarily need to know that we are, but let's mm-hmm. just let's just assume assuming that we are. That we are. Does that matter? Uh, On a day-to-day scale, would it matter if we were in a computer simulation? Yeah. Uh, in some ways, no. now if we don't know, it doesn't matter at all. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, if we, if, yeah, you know, if, if we had absolute proof of it, then that would be, that would be huge. That would be shattering. Yeah, that for, would, that would probably cause wars. Yeah, for, for all kinds of philosophies and, and religions, religions and, yeah. and just interpersonal. I mean, I mean, within my own head, I would probably need to spend a few days just, just drooling because. <laughs> this is talking about my normal week. <laughs> this is what I do. All right, fine. Okay, so now I know something different between me and Lauren. Learning new stuff. Um. <laughs> no, I, I agree that that w- if, and if we don't know, there we, is no difference because the the rules uh, that we have created for ourselves, but based on our cultures and our society, those haven't changed. Like it, like if I found out somehow, like if it, if knowledge were given to me personally mm-hmm. out of everyone who's alive. That yes, in fact, you live in a computer simulation. After I had that moment where I I, I upped my drooling capacity <laughs> for my daily allowance of drooling, uh, I would sit there and think, well, ultimately this doesn't change anything. I mean, it's it, my life still has meaning within the context of the world I live in. Right. We the, still need to go get lunch. We still we still get married. We still I, die. Right. We... I still I still laugh. I still cry. I still <laughs> find that Mitchell and Webb look to be absolutely hilarious. And I would really like it if Netflix streaming would bring it back for me. I mean, you know, all of these sort of things would still be true. So I uh, I don't think that ultimately it changes anything unless it were something where we could definitively prove it, and then that would change major things. Essentially, a lot of people would have to answer some very tough questions in regards to philosophy and religion, right? particularly. But other things as well, but those two in also, particular. Yeah, some very nice philosophy departments would be more or less out of jobs. Yeah, well... You know, or actually, they're no, they one wouldn't. Step, they they're wouldn't. one step away from being out of a job anyway. Come on, we're talking about philosophy here. Snap. This is coming from a literature major. <laughs> okay. I, 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 did you see – this is off topic. But there was a list, I think, of the most unemployable majors oh, no. that came out oh, no, for I 2012. Oh, no, I did not see that. Philosophy, I think, was – in the top three. Oh. Yeah. Literature was in the top ten. Was it? Yeah. Was it? Do you, I was creative writing. Do you have any? Oh, creative writing? I, I think they didn't even put that in there. It's like, are you Neil Gaiman? No? no. Get out. Um, hey, I'm an editor. I'm working in my field, folks. That's true. That's true. I don't know what my field would be. <laughs> so I was a medieval literature. I guess I'd be teaching medieval literature if I were in my field. But uh, it's funny that I went into technology <laughs> podcasting instead. So anyway, ultimately, I don't think it would really matter. There's no way of knowing currently. Right. One way or the other. So 
from that perspective, so from obviously a, from a thought matter. exercise, right? Yeah. So ultimately, uh, it may or may not matter if we're in a computer simulation. But the, the other question to ask is, how feasible is it? How would it be possible to actually create? A universe on this. What would it take to create a universe on this scale? Oh, right, and I mean because simulating something is actually very much more complicated than just doing it. Yeah. Um, for for example, um, I, I was reading one article that that cited a number where, if if you were to take a hard drive and you wanted to create a simulation of that entire hard drive, mm-hmm. you would have to simulate every single atom in it, record its position, its its time scale, everything about it. That would be, you know, and, and, and every single atom in a hard drive is maybe in 10 to the power of 24 atoms. Wow, that's a lot of atoms. A couple, a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and But in order to simulate it, you would have to about have about 100 bits of information at least on each of those atoms. Right. So, so when you think about that, if this world is or this universe is a computer simulation, then that means the simulation has to take into account every single object within that world, whether that object is part of something else or, or an individual object, uh, its position, its uh, if it's moving, uh, its relationship to every other object within that universe, mm-hmm. how that object's behavior, you know, however you want to define that, affects other objects. It's, it's this are you going, ripple are you, effect. Are you going down to the atomic scale? Are you going to the subatomic scale? How how deep does the rabbit hole go? Right, right. Because the other problem here is that as we, the human beings who live right here and now, whether it's a computer simulation or not, get more advanced, we get to learn more about our environment. We get to look even deeper than we could before. So, like, let's go back to the Stone Age. No microscopes, nothing. Like, anything that was beyond our ability to actually see it did not exist in our minds. And then we got more and more advanced, and we were able to suddenly start seeing things that are tinier and tinier. And then we get to the point where we've got electron tunneling microscopes, and we can move individual atoms into Mm -hmm. place. And we can see things that are really far away. That would mean that the simulation would have to take into account the ability for us to see well beyond what we first what were normal able to see. normal perception, right? Right. So that's kind of incredible to think about it that way. Like, how much power would you have to have to generate this? Is it something that would be added over time so that, like, you know, someone's, someone's checking in every now and then, like, uh-oh, they can see atoms now. All right, <laughs> well, we got to build the next level down, guys. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> or like, fire up that extra server. We're going to need it soon. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's... Some place in this other larger universe is North Carolina. There's another server farm being built. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it blows the mind. It becomes one of these things where you, you as you start to think about it, you're like, would that even be possible? Now, from a futurist's argument, they might say that. Uh, in the future, we'll be able to do things like harness the power of black holes to do computing, in which case the limitations of computing suddenly seem like uh, a non-problem. Oh, sure. Or even with quantum computers, which they're already experimenting with. Yeah. Uh, we, we've gotten up to uh, 16 qubits. 16 qubits was the last reliable one. But we've had – there have been larger ones. The problem with, of course, quantum computers is that as soon as you really observe the state they're in, it collapses, the, it decoheres, and you are, end up with a classical computer that is severely underpowered compared to any other normal <laughs> classical computer. But there are people who are working on the, that problem. So, yeah, I mean, the, it may be that reaching such a level of compu- co- computing power is not possible. And, in fact, that was part of Bostrom's point. Was that He was not necessarily saying we live in a computer simulation. He was saying there's another way of looking at this. We could look at this as saying transhuman or posthuman in the sense that the futurists have defined it is an impossibility. Right. That... 
we will never get to a point where we have computing power so vast as to be able to simulate an entire universe down to the tiniest detail and have it populated with intelligent creatures. Right, or even beyond the feasibility of that, uh, the idea that probably we're going to kill all of each other way, way yeah. before that could Actually, happen. Actually, that, that was another po- one of his points, is saying that it's way more likely that any any sort of civilization reaching post-human or transhuman uh, uh, status would end up wiping itself out in some sort of cataclysmic event, whether on purpose or by accident. <laughs> so we could have, hey... We have reached this level of superiority. Now we are going to force our ideological values upon everybody else. And everybody else says, no, you're not. And then we all kill each other. Or we say, hey, what does this button do? Zombie outbreak. (laughs) Those are the only two possibilities. That's a lie. But no, that's Bostrom's point is that that could also be a case. It's really a depressing case. But you could say – Humankind could hit extinction yeah, it's before more, we hit post-human. More fun to think about that other thing, but overall, zombie outbreak. I agree. I <laughs> Walking Dead, man, <laughs> right down the street from me. <laughs> That's just Atlanta on normal traffic. Days. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's it's pretty much it's the office before we get to the coffee machine. <laughs> it is. It gets ugly, folks. A lot of walkers. <laughs> a lot of walkers. Uh, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good point. Is that it? You know, we could we humankind could go extinct. That's one downside. We might not ever be able to reach that level of computational achievement in order to to ever simulate a universe. That's depending upon whom you ask. Also a downside. Mm-hmm. Um, or we just might never know. So yeah. So sometimes. It, <laughs> but that it, leads, it leads us to to explore the question further. Really. Yeah, and and we've we've seen that explored in. Multiple venues, not just philosophy, not just science, but entertainment. All over the place, yeah. I mean, going back to a lot of Shakespeare stories we're talking about, really. Like, like, what's the difference between dreams and reality? Midsummer Night's Dream is kind of a big one. Uh, we are such stuff as dreams are made on. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Oh, brave new world to have such people in it. Tis new to thee. <laughs> I, uh, that's, that's, that's the Tempest right there. That's I, what that was. <laughs> That's that's our that's our literature major yeah, over here. Yeah, well, you know, I gotta use the degree once in a while. But, but more, perhaps more modern things. A few, a few of you have probably seen The Matrix. Yeah. Uh, I know kung fu. That, <laughs> I can quote. Let's just keep going. I got it. I got this. Vanilla Sky. Oh no, I haven't seen that one. That, <laughs> yeah, I can't do that one. I haven't or, seen the documentary or the Spanish version. Abre los ojos. Do you speak Spanish? Okay. <laughs> there we go. That was my. Uh, Total Recall, Inception. Right, right, right. Um, right. Get uh, to the chopper. That, that's, 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 that's every other Schwarzenegger that's, movie. I'm sorry. That's not, not Inception at all. No, it's Total Recall. Total Recall. The first one I, know, I know, I know. I know. No, the Inception one would be, <laughs> that's Inception. Oh, love, love these movies, by the way. I'm making a lot of fun, but no, these are good points. I mean, you do, you do see this theme come up over and over again. Total Recall. What is real? What is being imagined? Mm-hmm. Is the entire story actually only happening in, in Quaid? That was his name, right? Quaid's mm-hmm. mine. Uh, or Inception. Are you still within a dream? Are you one level down in a dream? Are you two levels down? At the very end of the movie, is the is the main character, is, is, the is he awake? Is the frame still a dream? Right. Which, and of course, that brings into question something else. This, this is a good... Uh, argument that falls within the same sort of thing about being able to tell versus not being able to tell. Uh, 
this is big spoilers for Inception here, obviously. But one of the one of the the things they set up in Inception is that one way you can tell if you are in a dream is you have a totem that is specific to you and mm-hmm. behaves a certain way in the real world. Right. But in dream space, it does not behave that way. Right. Why? Who knows? But <laughs> it, it's convenient physics. <laughs> right. The main character has a top. So if he spins the top and the top stops spinning, he knows he's in the real world. If he's a layer down into a dream world and he spins the top, it just keeps spinning. Mm -hmm. And that's how he he can look at a moment and know if he's in a dream or if he's awake. Right. Uh, There's a problem with this, though. If the whole thing is within a dream, there's nothing to stop the dream world from saying, at a certain level, this top behaves a different way. Right. So in other words, even if the top topples over, which end of the movie gives you this kind of idea. Is it going to spin? Gonna, is it going to topple? Not? Is it going to? Uh, but even if the top were to topple over, that would not answer the question of whether or not you were in a dream because it only depends upon if that level is real or not. And if it's not real, if that's just another point of the dream, then all it means is that the behaviors of stuff in one level of the dream behave differently than the others. Right. And and similarly, if, if, our, if our future transhuman selves decided to make it so that we cannot detect whether or not we are in a dream, then... Yeah, we're kind of stuck. We're kind of stuck. But yeah, same thing with The Matrix, the whole idea of creating a, a universe that is not ideal because if we created an ideal universe, humans would go, this can't be real. My life stinks. <laughs> There's no way my life is this awesome. And, uh, and then we have a universe filled with Jonathan Strickland's. <laughs> And nobody wants that. Nobody. Nobody wants that. Not even Jonathan Strickland. Look, I'm enough to deal with already. (laughs) But yeah, no, there's there's tons of examples. There's there's a lot in science fiction, obviously. Obviously. Uh, Especially since uh, since William Gibson and the entire cyberpunk thing became a thing. You know, Mm -hmm. and and that's that's sort of our our entrance into into how did I just make up a word in French? I don't think that that's an actual thing. Um, Ever, ever since cyberpunk happened, we've yeah. been we've been looking at technology in in this fearful way, which we always kind of do in horror films. I think that fiction is a really terrific way for us to work out our anxieties because we can go like, well, in this scary world, uh, all of these terrible things, all of these terrible things will happen. However, we're going to have some attractive people in pleather who are going to take care of it for us, right? Or and or, that's, or die. Or die. <laughs> And, and die in numerous ways. Yeah, like you said, yeah, it's science fiction and horror are the two genres I think of the most when I think about this kind of mentality. Because I also think of things like uh, other movies. Here's another spoiler, guys. Uh, if you're a Joss Whedon fan, oh no, mm-hmm. this is a spoiler. So spoiler for Joss Whedon fans, you can skip ahead. But Cabin in the Woods, oh, another uh-huh. example of yeah. like what is real and what is. What is artifice? Yes, what has been simulated. Yes, so there you go. Same sort of thing. Um, I don't think that's a huge spoiler because that's revealed early in the movie, but still. Sure. Um, at any rate, th- these are, you know, we've explored this idea in multiple forms of media, whether it's entertainment or, or also in, in multiple uh, uh, disciplines, entertainment, science, uh, philosophy. And I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon because. Obviously, there's no way for us to answer this question. Mm-hmm. Not not unless we detect that lattice structure. And even then, you're like, well, you're like, well then who created us? That could mean anything. Yeah, that could mean. And also, it could be like Inception. We might be 78 levels down <laughs> from reality. It could be that marble in the Men in Black. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, we could be. We could be a moat of dust upon the nose of a dog. 
in another universe, which in itself is a moat of dust upon the nose of another dog in another universe, which in itself is a moat of dust upon Douglas Adams' pencil as he giggles maniacally and writes another book. Yes. Because in that universe, he's still around. Oh, I like that universe. I do too. I want to. Mm. I want to. I want to go to there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting question. So, um, and if you've heard about this whole thing, because it, it came up in, in conversations toward the end of 2012, which was kind of interesting because the the first uh, the publication of of Bostrom's work was in the early mm. 2000s. And back in 2003, I yeah, think. Yeah. So. Uh, but in this case, it was because the physicists had said, hey, there might be a way for us to find out. Maybe, possibly, right. probably not, but it could happen. <laughs> uh, and even then, we're going to have to get to a level of technological uh, uh, advancement that is beyond what we have now before we could even hope to detect these cosmic rays but uh, uh, and their behavior. But but we'll see. I mean, again, I'm not – I don't think anything's going to change in the, in the, the long term. You know, there might be some short-term freakout if we were ever to find out. But yeah, but you know, in in the end, we are we are what we are. We are what we I are. I am what I am. Thank you, Popeye. <laughs> and with that, we close this book known as Tech Stuff: The Philosophy, and we will open up a new chapter in the next episode, uh, possibly about a totally different topic. Actually, very likely about a totally different topic. If you guys have any topics you think we should talk about in future episodes of Tech Stuff, I recommend you let us know because we have not figured out how to read your mind yet. If you would send us an email, our address is discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. You can find our handle there, TechStuffHSW. Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 